got my go signal to purchase my ticket to go to Indonesia. Praise God. <laughs> Definitely all God. Um, like to reach this point is just has been an amazing journey. Um, I still need um, monthly supporters in order to get me to a hundred percent. And like I'm, you know, I've been praying to God about like, okay, Lord, like you got, we got, we got two weeks. <laughs> like I don't know how we are, how you're gonna be able to like um, make that happen. Um, but the plan is to be there by, uh, by October. So hopefully, um, uh, maybe first week or second week, week of October Okay. in Indonesia. Yes. Okay. How long will you be in Rapid City? I will be in Rapid City until the end of the month. End of the month. Yes. Okay. So I'm going to help you out a little bit here. Yes. Um, Vanessa just has a ton of information, and we're not going to be able to get to all of it today. So I really want to encourage you uh, to uh, get together with Vanessa and hear her story and hear about what she's doing, where she's going. Also, back at the kiosk, as you come into the sanctuary, uh, there's there's a... What's the word I'm looking for? A, a plastic thing holding some information yes. and ways that you can support Vanessa, ways that you can come alongside of her and, and help her out because uh, this is one of our common ground people and uh, she is doing what is part of our DNA and that's going and taking the good news out into the world and we want to support her and help her in any way that we can do that. All right, so I have one more question. And it's kind of a tough question. Um, a, a lot of us have experienced uh, loss and, and grief. And when we do that, it, it really feels like an ending. And, uh, you know, we know that you walked through some, some loss and grief. Can I ask you, how did that change from being an ending to being a beginning? Mm-hmm. I think the, the beginning really started when I just surrendered my grief to the Lord. Um, I was, you know, some of you have heard my story of how losing Jesse really just meant to me as um, losing my identity as well. And that was God's way of reminding me of who I truly am, which is being a child of God. And that was the only identity that I needed. And, um, you know, during that dark times, I just like, you know, trying to fill up the void with all sorts of wrong things, you know, from, yeah, the alcohol and the drugs and, you know, different things that was never me. Like, people who have met me don't believe that I've gone through that, but it was. And, um, and so after I surrendered, I was telling people that um, my turning point really came from like a piece of paper, which was a prayer card from one of the missionaries that spoke here two weeks before I left South Dakota. And during that time, I was pretty bitter at God for not answering my prayer for healing. And so like I w- did not even intend to talk to the guy. I was like, just like, nope. I don't want to go. I'm just going to go home. But then he caught me just right before I was heading to the door. And he said, like, oh, I haven't talked to you yet. And why did I talk to you? I was like, I don't want to talk to you. But, um, <laughs> but okay. And, you know, he gave me, oh, pray, remember to pray for our family. And I somehow put that in my teeny tiny car to go to um, California and found it right at that time when I said, Lord, I don't know how to do this. I surrender. What do you want from me? Found the card. And that's when, like, you're telling me to go back to missions? Like, and that's the start of the path. Challenge was just to keep open to his call. And here I am. And here you are. <laughs> kind of thing. So kind of be an observer to your journey the breadcrumbs and that's what and when it looked like missions work really wasn't on the horizon it still made it possible and uh, and I just think that's fantastic that you're being obedient to his calling and being so willing to go pray for Vanessa um, I ask Evan and our uh, resident elders who are here today if you could to come down here the 
Um, the rest of us, would we just stand up? And I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna. Inc- you guys are just kind of weird because you just went that way. <laughs> <laughs> just step forward a little bit, and as the elders are laying hands and uh, of unity, Vanessa is going, but we're as we do this. Okay. Finding us your your son Jesus Christ, hope of forgiveness of sin, hope of eternal life, the hope of going to be. God, thank you for doing. You call us into your kingdom, and so, Lord, now Vanessa Perico, that you know her and love her, and we know that you have good things. We know that you will take her through challenges, trials. And we know, Lord, fruition, all that you have planned. We gather around her and into your keeping. And that you would go before her, around her, and especially of seeing how the power of your gospel, life, but transforming the lives of others. We be a people of prayer, and that we sister up to you. May we be a people her do the work that you have called her. Ask for your immense and powerful in Jesus' name, and all God's people said. Um, to share with us on your journey, just as you follow God so faithfully. What an inspiration, and what priorities are priorities. So we just thank you for that. Supporting her. Um, if you're not yet uh, on the back, and would you just consider um, her ministry? Um, but it's we have been going through for the last few months trying to really get what are the things that Jesus said um, did or that all the aspects should we be focused on? Because often what well, Favorite things about Jesus, right? Um, we everything, um, and this happens all the time. Thing that Jesus has said, um, or we, um, God just accepts people. He accepts people in a single uh, Bible verse. It must be every single situation, every single lens we. or maybe the only one that we ever memorized in Sunday school. If we make that the ultimate thing, and we don't actually look at the box, it can actually cause a lot of damage. So Paul instructed Timothy, watch your life, watch your doctrine closely, get an accurate picture of who God is. And so that's what we want to do um, in this series. Because Jesus, 
essentially put on a spectacle and made it very clear and explicit of what he came to do, what he cared about. And so we want to learn what he cares about. Um, and we figure the best way to do that would be to just spend a very long time studying him, looking at him. So we've been going through a lot of these things that he has said he has come to do. Some of them are things that we can easily apply to our lives and that he has commanded us to do as well. Some of them are things that Jesus himself has done being God. And so sometimes we'll leave here, and if all that we get is just a clearer picture of who Jesus is, um, the God that we serve, then I think that is still a win. Um, but today, I kind of want to show you an aspect of that box so that we can get a clear picture of what Jesus cared about. And we're going to be in Luke chapter 5, and we are going to be looking at the statement where Jesus said that I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Jesus said, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And our hope is that as we, as we look here, and we're going to be in Luke, but you can find essentially the same story in two other places in each of the other Gospels. But the hope is that we'd be able to see just in this little piece that big picture that Jesus loves sinners and his love changes sinners. His love changes sinners. Um, but find your way to Luke chapter 5. And we're going to read this. We are going to look at Jesus, see what did he tell us he came to do. Not making up our mind about what Jesus is about. Not projecting that on him, but seeing what he said about himself. And so, beginning in verse 27 of Luke chapter 5, we're going to read to verse 32. I waited for that last page to turn. You got it. All right, so Luke chapter 5. After this, Jesus went out and he saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting at his tax booth. Follow me, Jesus said to him. And Levi got up, left everything, and followed him. Then Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house, and a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with them. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who belonged to their sect complained to his disciples, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus answered them, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And this is God's holy word. Um, so would you go ahead and would you bow your heads with me? And would we just ask God um, to help us as we now seek his word? So Father God, we just thank you that your word is living and active. And we commit to being a people who submit um, to your will and your word. Uh, we want to be a people who know you and worship you well. And so would you just reveal yourself to us in these words today? So, Jesus, we thank you for being present here. Um, we're doing all of this because we love you. And it's in your holy name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Um, so, Jesus says here, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And we see this little story of him calling this guy, Levi, to be his follower. And last, a few weeks ago, actually, um, we looked at Jesus kind of calling his first disciples, where he called Peter, Andrew, James, and John, and they were fishermen. And that's the one, one time when Jesus said, I will make you fishers of men. And now Jesus is adding to his little posse of disciples here by calling this guy Levi, uh, you might know him by his Greek name, Matthew, um, the tax collector, to follow him. And most of you know that being a tax collector is not the coolest job in the world at this time. Uh, because the tax collector and the tax collector sitting in this little booth, he at this time in Israel is a representative of Rome. Um, he's a Jewish man sitting in a booth that is a picture painting to all the other Jews in the area of everything wrong with the world at that time. Um, because if he is working for Rome, then what he is doing is he is representing an empire whose capital is thousands of miles away, and he is one of the local people here who has essentially sold himself out to make a killing and to represent them. And so he is representative of this empire that is in place. And so you have him representing Rome there. Now, if Rome is ruling over the area, how do you think the Jews feel about Rome? Not the biggest fan? Yeah, they didn't like them. Good answer. And some people might have said, like, well, you know, but they built roads and they gave us clean water, um, right? They benefited in some ways. Well, they did build a lot of amazing things. And do you know how Rome built all those amazing things in the Middle East? 
taxes, money, that is not cheap. And that was their main purpose is they didn't care uh, how much of people's income or how hard it was for people to survive. Their goal was to build the best roads, the best infrastructure possible. And so they inflicted a tax system on this area for the sole purpose, well, actually, you could say, God bless you, Lori, for two purposes, to build these roads, to build out this infrastructure, and, in essence, to keep the people down, to intentionally oppress them through these taxes. And one of the ways that Rome was able to do this, especially in such a large area, is what a lot of nations and empires had done in the past, is they tried to send their own guys out there um, from the capital, and you rule over this little area, Um, And most of those empires failed and struggled in doing that because when they send their own people out there, they realize that their own people didn't speak the language, they didn't have the same color skin, they didn't quite get all of the same customs in that area they were trying to rule. So what Rome decided to do instead is what if we just hired some of the local people who speak the same language, they look like everybody, they understand the customs, what if we hired them to rule on our behalf? And we could promise them that if they work for us, if they represent us, they're going to be rich. They're going to be great. They'll have to oppress their neighbors, but they bet on the assumption that humans are greedy, uh, and that was a pretty good assumption. And so they were able to hire people like Levi, who were Jewish from this area, to actually oppress and make a lot of money ripping off their own people as tax collectors. And so this is who Levi is. He is sold out to this foreign occupying power. So if he is working as a tax collector, what would happen, um, say, in this area, is if fishermen came up and they had just sold 500 fish, they would have to pass by Levi there at his tax booth, and he would tell them, okay, here is how much will go to Rome that you have to pay, uh, and here is how much I will take as a charge for my great services. And the tax collectors at the time had a lot of power to just determine what the price of their service was. So they got to just crank up the service charge so that they could make as much as they wanted to. It was a very, very corrupt system. And so Levi here, we can assume he's rich while everyone else is poor because of his corruption, because he's lied. And the result of that is that nobody really likes him in this area. Nobody really likes him. Uh, Do the Romans like him? Well, not necessarily. They just care that he collects the money. They don't care about him. He's not one of them. He's a Jew in that area. But do the Jews like him? Well, no, he's actually the worst of the worst. He has sold himself out to make all this money. And so Levi was in the middle of doing exactly what made him hated at this booth collecting taxes. And Jesus walked up and said, follow me. Follow me. And he does. Levi does, which is amazing in itself, but the gospel writer doesn't dwell on how amazing it is. He just goes right to what happens next, and that is Levi doing what a tax collector knows how to do here. Uh, He throws a big party. Uh, We assume that he probably had a large house. He's throwing a great banquet. He throws a party at his mansion, Jesus, and we could probably assume the other disciples come with. And it says in the text that we read, that his party was full of others like him. It says others like him there. Uh, the Pharisees tell us later on in the chapter that they were sinners. Uh, or some other versions, if you read like Mark's account, Mark makes it clear that other reputable sinners like him are there. And so Jesus and the disciples are here at this party with Levi, a tax collector, and all these other sinners. Um, And you might stop and think, like, why is that a problem that you would eat with sinners? Like, you can't really eat in public without doing that. Um, But one of the things that we have to understand is this is a problem, especially for them in this day, because sin is contagious. Actually, eating with people, eating with these sinners, is actually a risk because sin is contagious. You see, one of the most foundational ideas in the Bible um, is this idea of original sin. That because of what happened with Adam and Eve, that we have all, by nature, inherited original sin, right? We've caught it from our human relatives, and original sin goes all the way back to the origin of mankind there. Um, and so because of that, all of the human race is affected. And one of the main ways that we're affected is obviously when God said in the Garden of Eden that do not eat of this or surely you will die. Well, human beings all die. Welcome to church. I hope you're encouraged. That's one of the ways that we've been infected by sin. 
is you will surely die. And we know from other places in Scripture that it reminds us of this. In Isaiah chapter 53, we have all gone astray. Like sheep, we've all gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all, predicting Jesus there. And then in Romans chapter 3, the Apostle Paul says, There is no one righteous, not even one, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That sin is this thing that has pervaded the human race here. And I don't know if you have talked to many friends of yours who are atheists, but one of the things that the atheist even wonders about is how can there be a God if there is so much sin? Most people don't have a problem with this idea that there is sin and darkness in the world. And we have to recognize that our sin also affects others, that it, in a sense, is kind of contagious because when we, when we sin against others, we wound others. We wound ourselves, and every time we sin, um, essentially, this has gone around spreading to one another, even beyond just this original inheritance of sin that we have. Places like Psalm chapter 1 talk about this. It says, Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked, or stand in the way that sinners take, or sit in the company of mockers. And it goes on just to remind, essentially, that cliche that we know that, you know, bad company corrupts good character. That sin is this big issue that it's not to just be messed around with. That sin is this big problem. And the people who have an issue with Jesus eating here, they're keying into this. Because the people that have an issue with Jesus eating with Levi and with these tax collectors is a group called the Pharisees. And the Pharisees, they kind of understood part of the nature of sin, that it's contagious, it's scary, it destroys people. Um, And so their response, not only did they just hate it and they wanted to be, you know, against it as much as they could, but the Pharisees' goal then was to be completely separated from anybody who was sinful, from any sinners. And the Pharisees showed up at this party and they take an issue and they complain to Jesus' disciples there. And one of the things you have to understand to understand Jesus' statement here is just what the Pharisees were getting at. Um, Because the word Pharisee, the name Pharisee, means the one who is separated. Um, They are the separate ones. And their goal in being separated was they thought, well, we just want to achieve holiness. And the way that we achieve holiness, if being holy is to be separate and set apart, then we're just going to be set apart from everyone. Because they're all sinful, and we don't want to catch their ick. And so we will just set ourselves apart from them in any way that we can. And they took this very seriously very, very intentionally to be set apart from people who are sinful. And the Pharisees kind of began in the time between Malachi and Matthew in that intertestamental period. And by the time Jesus gets on the scene, they were kind of at their height of power. And we often view them as, you know, the bad guys in the Bible who Jesus is always dunking on. But at the time, they were actually very popular. Um, They were very popular, especially with kind of the middle-class Jewish person, because what had happened with the Roman occupation is the Romans were intentionally trying to kind of get rid of the local culture, get rid of Jewish customs, get rid of the religion in the area. And people had a deep desire to get back to what they had, a deep desire to get back to being God's people, a deep desire to be back to the way that things were before the Romans came in. And that's what the Pharisees were all about. The Pharisees were all about reinstating holiness. Now, the issue was that they reinstated holiness essentially beyond the measure that God even had instated it. They took the the instructions to be separate and to be holy from the Old Testament, and they said, well, this is good, but we can make it even better. And they viewed their roles in this area as being for the purpose of restoring Israel to holiness And if they could make everyone in Israel holy and not sin for one day, then they believed the Messiah would come back. That if we could just get everybody to go a day without sin, the Messiah will come back. And so in order to do this, they made really strict laws. We've talked about many of them before. They made all these rules about Sabbath. They made all these rules about worship. They made all these rules about who can be where in which places because they looked at the Old Testament laws and they were afraid to break those, which is good. They're right about that. But then they took it a step further and said, well, if we don't want to break those rules, then we're going to do what they called a fence around the law. 
And we're going to restrict people from even getting close to the law. Like if the law is there, hey, we're going to make the law here. And that will give us a better chance getting everyone to be holy. We'll give us a better chance of doing that. And one of the areas in life in which they had put these strict rules and this fence to protect the law was in food and in eating. You've heard of kosher food. And some of the kosher Old Testament rules did have to do with, you know, the washing of the hands and with utensils that are used and with the proper, you know, preparation of food. Well, the Pharisees took that one step further and they had very, very strict rules on how a meal was to go. What kind of foods can be eaten? What kind of utensils can be done? What is the washing rituals that take place beforehand? And meal was a very, very sacred thing for them. And so what they had been teaching the people around this area, what they believed, is that you can't just share a meal with anybody because you would be catching their sin, catching their ick, You don't know if they follow the right kosher practices. You don't know if they know how to use the right utensils. You don't know if they are going to mess something up. And in the process, they could, you know, defile your whole family just by sharing a meal here with them. And so what happened in those days is people did not share meals with people that they did not know were on the same page with these ritual rules as they were. And so... What would typically happen, say Levi invited a random person in those days out to a meal, he'd be like, yeah, come over to our house. They would say, well, no, like, you're representing Rome. You're a sinner. So they, you know, there's no way that they would go over to their house. They would come up with a way to cancel. You guys know this. You know how to cancel on someone. It's like someone invites you over. You're like, I woke up and thought about having a meal with you. Now I have a headache, so I'm not going to be there. Um, And you would have found your way to definitely not share a meal with them. Because their goal was ultimate purity, ultimate separation here. Ultimate separation from sin. They weren't just necessarily mean towards it. The Pharisees were terrified of sin and terrified of being around sinners. They thought they were going to catch it. It was going to ruin everything. And we have to see in the context here that it wasn't just the Pharisees who felt this way. Think about the disciples Jesus had just called. Peter, James, John, Andrew, they wouldn't have been very comfortable at Levi's house either, Um, especially not Peter. I don't know if you know much about Peter, but it says that Peter was a zealot. Um, And if you know about the zealots, um, the zealots kind of trace their movement back to a guy named Phineas, right? You know him and his brother, Ferb, um, who they remember this time in which God's people had been tempted um, by King Balak, where Balak sent in um, Midianite women to, to curse the people. And it worked like a charm. And so the men of Israel had been sleeping with Midianite women and worshiping Midianite gods. And Phineas was someone with zeal, And so Phineas said, I'm going to do something about this. He goes into a place in which an Israelite man sleeping with a Midianite woman and essentially got two birds with one stone because of what was going on in there. And he had zeal for holiness and zeal against sin. And he was Peter's hero. The zealots traced their movement back to that. And they're like, we need to get back for that kind of zeal for holiness. And you can see just in the beginning of this chapter, Peter, after Jesus called him, in Luke chapter 5, verse 8, when Jesus called him to follow him, Simon Peter saw this and he fell at Jesus' knees and he says, Go away from me, Lord. I'm a sinful man. Now I've heard sometimes this said, like, ah, Peter's just being really humble here. He's recognizing his sin. Sure, it's possible, but what Peter is also saying here is that sinful people should be separated from holy people. He's like, ah, I can't be around you. You're holy, I'm sinful. We, we can't be in the same place. And Peter kind of let us know how he feels about sinners in that situation. He re- recognized himself as one. But Peter, if he is on board um, with Phineas there, he would not be comfortable at Levi's house. And into this, Jesus walks. Brings his disciples right along. Walks into Levi's house. And this is one of the reasons that, that the Pharisees are so confused by Jesus that why are you interacting with these people? 
Why are you breaking the Sabbath? Why are you getting so close to breaking these rules? Why are you, we've set all these fences around the law. Why don't you care about them? Aren't you afraid of sin in this way? But Jesus seems to be approaching sinful people as if he's like invincible to their sin. It's like Jesus is acting like getting their sin on him is not a big deal. And they're baffled. They don't know what to do. They're terrified. They're terrified. And this isn't actually the first time um, that Jesus has done this. I'd encourage you this week, read all of Luke chapter 5. We've jumped right to this, but immediately before he eats at Levi's house, Jesus encounters a guy with a really bad case of leprosy. Um, And leprosy is kind of the perfect picture of sin. That's why it's used over and over again by Jesus in the Gospels, um, because it's a contagious infection. Um, If someone who has leprosy breathes on you, you can catch leprosy. Or if you're handling armadillos. Um, I don't know if you know that, but armadillos carry leprosy. Don't touch them. Um, Leave them there. Um, But when Jesus healed the man with leprosy, in Luke chapter 5, verse 13, there's a pro tip for you, he reached out and he touched the man with leprosy. Now, couldn't Jesus have just said, you're healed, move on? Could have done whatever he wanted. But he made a point to show in front of the watching eyes of the Pharisees, he would touch this man and heal him. And I just imagine the Pharisees, like with their disinfectant spray going, ah, he touched him. Like, ah, disgusting. Like, he's defiled. We're all defiled. If we go close to him, we're going to be disgusting. And right after that, he interacts with someone whose legs are paralyzed. And you kind of know this story um, where it's a packed house. Jesus was healing people all over the place. And so, so many had gathered that there was a man who was paralyzed and they weren't going to be able to get him in to see Jesus. And so his friends haul him up onto the roof, cut a hole in the roof, deface property, and lower him down towards Jesus so that he can get healed. And it says in the beginning of Luke chapter 5 that when Jesus saw their faith, this man being lowered down, He said, friend, your sins are forgiven. And that's kind of a confusing situation, too, because the guy's asking for legs, right? It's like, I want my legs to be healed. But Jesus forgives his sin. And again, with the watching eyes of the Pharisees on him, they're probably thinking the same thing. Like, wait, what did he just say? Like, they were fine with him doing all the healing. And then Jesus says, your sins are forgiven. Only God can do that. Only God can forgive sins. We are avoiding it. We don't want to catch it. But Jesus here is saying, no, sins are done away with. And then here we have Levi, this tax collector. And Jesus said, follow me. Follow me. Become my disciple. And I imagine the Pharisees probably would have been okay with that. But Jesus took it a step further. He calls them to follow him. And he also goes to Levi's party. Jesus didn't have to go into the house, go to the party. He could have got on, went on to the next town and preached, right? But instead, Jesus makes it clear. He goes to this party. And the Pharisees are looking at this and they're thinking, you know, sin is contagious. We need to be separate from it. We need to get away from it. And they were looking at this one little piece of what God was doing, the separation of sin, But the big picture is that Jesus isn't just a rabbi, like, you know, teaching a better way to avoid sin, right? He is God saving sinners. He's God doing away with sin, showing the big picture of how God, holy God, deals with sin. He's showing that he's actually going to be the solution that we need, not the things that we can control on our own. And he makes it explicitly clear through going out of his way, touching the leper, forgiving sins when he could have just given the guy legs. And then here, not just calling Levi, calling him, going to the party, sharing a meal with this sinner. So Jesus is making it clear. Yeah, God is holy. People are sinful. And I'm joining them together. That's actually the solution that people need in order to be saved from this ick that is sin, that can actually reconciliation with God. I'm the one who actually is going to do something about this. I'm the one who's going to solve this issue. Because you see the Pharisees, they had been separating themselves from everyone and everything. And what Jesus is showing them is that the purpose of the law in the first place, the purpose of religion in the first place, is for sinful people to be united with the Holy God. It was always to reunite mankind with God. That was the purpose from the beginning. 
And this is why Jesus is on earth in the first place. It's to reunite God and man, right? That was the project we're told since before the foundations of the earth, right? Jesus going after sinful humanity to be reunited, to restore them. This is what he was up to here. This is what he was up to. But there was this, this chasm, this separation between God and man because of sin, and no one knew what to do with it other than make the chasm wider. And Jesus came, and he didn't guard those boundaries. He actually solved the problem altogether. He says, sin might be contagious in this way, he says, but I'm actually going to make holiness. I'm going to make healing contagious. I'm the one who's so holy that my holiness can spread and result in the forgiveness of sins for others. And it's fascinating that when asked this question, um, you know, they asked the disciples, why is he eating with these sinners? I don't know how close Jesus was to them when they asked this question. They kind of have an idea of what a big mansion in that time would have looked like, and they were probably eating in a large outdoor courtyard. But I like to think this is one of those times in which Jesus knew their thoughts, as it says often. Um, And instead of waiting for the disciples to respond, Jesus responded himself to them. Um, But he answered their question, why are you eating, with like this little proverb about healing. Did you notice that? He said, why are you eating with them? And he said, to heal them. Because it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. And so Jesus is saying, I know what you guys think. You think their sin is contagious. You think that they are sick and disgusting and you want to get away with them. Jesus isn't denying that. He's saying, I'm actually here to fix that. I'm here to take that on myself, to do away with it for good. He knew what their problem was there. So when they ask, why are you eating? He says, because I am going to heal them. And the message of this passage, just very plain and simple, is that Jesus draws near to sinners. Um, Quite simply, that's what Jesus came to do. Emmanuel, God with us, we talk about. And some of you, I, I imagine, just need to hear this today. That God saves sinners, that God moves towards sinners, that God's plan from the beginning was to do something about this sin problem that we have. Because you know you're a sinner, you feel it, you see it every day, you battle with it. And you aren't sure if you can be near him or not, or you aren't sure that you can be near other Christians. You don't want to give them your ick. You know that they don't want to be around you. Quite simply, the big picture here you can see is that Jesus draws near sinners. Jesus loves sinners. His love changes sinners. Now to get to some more specific takeaways here, I would say first takeaway we can see just from the reality of what's happening with Jesus and Levi. uh, Step one, throw dinner parties. You guys? That's easy application we can see from here. Throw dinner parties. Uh, But even beyond that, Throw dinner parties with a purpose. Uh, I think we have to, and here I gave you the answer of what that purpose should be in case you're wondering. When you invite people over, are there people who don't know Jesus there? Are there? Because they need to encounter Jesus. They need to hear the gospel. They need to hear about Jesus at the table. If you read through the gospel of Luke, you'll see that Jesus change the world by eating with people over and over and over again, right? And we don't need to reinvent what evangelism and missions looks like and do anything too complicated. We can do it the same way and just follow his example of eating with people. If someone has invited you, it's like, Jesus, would you show up? Would you show up? That Jesus has invited us um, to bring the gospel here. And one of the main ways that he did it was there at tables. But here's the thing, when it comes to that, uh, many of us can have the temptation to be, you know, all party, no purpose. Uh, Maybe when I say throw dinner parties and have sinners there, you're thinking, dude, I've got that checked. I do that all the time. That's all I do is eat and drink with sinners. It's like, okay, well, that's great. I'm glad you have that part down. Uh, And I would say, is Jesus acknowledged at that party? (laughs) Is Jesus acknowledged at that party? Because he didn't go to this place for no reason. He made it very clear that he went for a reason 
These people are sick and they need a doctor. Jesus is at this house because he is making disciples. He's just called Levi, be my disciple, follow me. I have come to the sick. I am healing them. I am bringing them back to God. And so Jesus is making it clear that his desire is to call those at this party who are far from God to God, to return to him. Because right now, Levi is kind of being a jerk, ripping people off. And Jesus is saying, follow me. Spend time with me. Learn my ways. Be empowered by my spirit. Repent from the way that you are living. Live like I do instead. This is the reason that he is at this party. I think we have to pause and consider when when we're gathered with others, do we have the same purpose? I would invite you to see these as opportunities to be like Jesus in that way. Because we have to remember Jesus' words, why he was there. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Sinners to repentance. When was the last time you brought up repentance to someone? Is that something you do often? I think we have to believe in the power of the Holy Spirit to lead people to repentance. And to be willing to extend that offer to turn from sin, to turn towards Christ. Because as we look at what Jesus is doing here, It can be easy to pick our favorite thing and be like, well, you know, my favorite verse is that God is love. And so Jesus is just here. Yeah, love, love, love. He's just here loving people. Or my favorite thing is that, you know, God is just, you know, he's holy. So he's probably just here like correcting and telling them how to use the utensils. Well, what Jesus says here, the reason he has come, it's called sinners to repentance. He wasn't there just to hang out. He was here to call them to turn from the way that they were living, to live like him instead. And we can't, just overlook that reality uh, whenever we are eating with others, whenever we are with others, that one of the main purposes that Jesus here has eaten with them is to call sinners to repentance. Do we have that same purpose? And it's probably not even worth saying, do we have that every time? It's do we ever, once or twice. Um, I had a joke with a lot of uh, friends of mine who are now in ministry is that if you've ever struggled with like self-consciousness or like social anxiety, try like reading Romans chapter one with someone. Um, and by the time you get through some of those things, like you'll never be afraid in a social situation again. You'll be like, man, if I could read through that and look you in the eyes, then I can do anything. <laughs> but beyond that, this is the call of Jesus here. All sinners to repentance. And we have to consider um, when we are interacting with others, like especially those that we are sharing Christ with, are we, are we dancing around issues and just trying to like soften the blow of the gospel? Um, because I don't like, I think if we do that, we're showing that we don't really believe in the Holy Spirit's power to lead people to repentance. Right? And we might not believe that the gospel is the power unto salvation. Okay, because repentance is a really great idea as long as you believe that the Holy Spirit really works in people's lives. But when we start to believe that the Holy Spirit like stinks at his job, and so if I bring up repentance, they're just going to get mad and chase me away, we forget the purpose here. And we think, you know, it's not going to be repentance like Jesus led him here. It's just going to be like, oh, I'll just bring like my favorite verse, and it's that God is love, and we're just going to be super, super nice here. And then I'll just like, I don't know, they'll never get to repentance. I'll just like sneak him into heaven somehow, you know, just like get under here. We'll, we'll get there. You're super cute, and Jesus is obsessed with you, I promise. Um, And we skip this part. And I think when we don't offer people repentance like Jesus did here, one, we make our evangelism weak, but, I mean, we make converts even weaker. And we make the picture of Jesus even smaller to see that Jesus doesn't just love people who, like, yeah, you're super cute. Who wouldn't love you? It's Jesus loves people who are sinful. For those that others would want to be separate from, for those who had that ick, these are the people who Jesus came to love to offer a new way of life to offer healing to offer healing there and i think when it comes to this story here i've heard this story taught a whole lot 
because I'm a millennial and I grew up in the Pacific Northwest and we like to eat and drink with sinners. That's great. Um, but oftentimes it can be used to just say, you know, like, look how loosey-goosey Jesus is on sin. You know, he just hangs out. He didn't bring up anything like that. And I'm loosey-goosey on sin, so I like that. I like that, Jesus. We have to see Jesus' words here. He's calling sinners to repentance. Essentially, he's making it clear that, yeah, Jesus is showing love for these people, but his love is too good to just leave them there in the way that they were. Right? If we were to understand why he's doing this, again, I'm really going to give you the encouragement this morning. I think all of us have to realize when it comes to repentance that we are all a lot worse than we think we are. <laughs> we really are. But I promise you, it is the best thing uh, when you realize that. When you realize who you truly are, um, it is the best thing because then once you see yourself rightly and the Holy Spirit begins to change your heart, you actually realize what you're saved from. You actually realize that this is truly the way you are. And you can have this amazing joy and this amazing forgiveness for others because you see all that you've been forgiven of, right? And you stop writing other people off as sinners because you know that you should have been written off as a sinner as well. And you don't write people off as they're outside. They're a lost cause because you know of what you were forgiven of. You were just as much of a lost cause as them. And I promise that if we truly understand, like we were actually worse than we probably think we are, we would treat others a whole lot better. We would not put ourselves above them so many other ways. And so if I would have a word for you, I would say, may God show you how terrible of a human you really are. You know, may that be an encouragement because that also shows his glory, his love, his forgiveness. You know, as you read scriptures and as you see the way that God has laid forth, the way that God has laid forth um, what holiness looks like, sometimes that's going to kind of like wound us, right? Um, Scripture can be hard to read sometimes. Um, but we know that faithful are the wounds of a friend that God is pointing that out for our good. And he points that out all in light and all in the backdrop of him coming to us to die for us, to give of everything. And so we might be a lot worse than we really think we are. Um, but at the same time, we have to recognize that we're so much more loved than we really think we are either. That you are much more loved than you can imagine. And we have to let people know that Jesus is the one who responds to repentance with that love. And I think we would be a people who are not quite as uncomfortable with repentance or talking about sin if we understood what happens after repentance. If we understood Jesus' response to our sin. Because I think we get this fear that, okay, we're going to admit our repentance and then, you know, Jesus is there with a gotcha. I told you you're so wrong. But look at the Jesus that we have in this passage. His response to repentance is that he would heal. I think we would be a lot quicker to repent, to, to recognize our sin if we truly understood who God is, how loving, how gentle, how merciful he is. It's in the Proverbs, and I'll end with this. It says, whoever conceals their sins does not prosper, but the one who confesses and renounces them finds mercy. We can be quick to repent. We can be quick to admit our sin because we have a God who is quick to give mercy, who's quick to heal. Jesus said, I have not come to call the righteous. If you have nothing wrong, you have no need for me. Carry on. Have fun. But if you're someone who recognizes, I need God. I need Jesus to do work in my heart. Jesus says, you are exactly the one that I am here for. That is exactly why I came. And he pours out mercy, pours out healing, pours out his grace on undeserved, sinful world. That when we turn to him, we find mercy. And I don't know a better response to that than to just worship. And so would you bow your heads? Would you pray with me as we turn to him in praise? So Father God, 
Uh, we pause and we thank you. And we just thank you for your grace, just the undeserved favor that we have with you. That we, for so many reasons, should just be left out, should be separated. But yet, out of your graciousness, out of your love, out of your generosity, out of who you are, you've loved us. And so we just stop and we just thank you for that. I just pray um, in this room today that you would give each and every one of us just a, a healthy picture of ourselves, that you would help us to see ourselves the way that you do. That you would help us to see the seriousness of our sin. But would you help us in light of that to see the goodness of God? And would you remind us over and over again of, of the reason you sent your son? That you sent your son to take that sin on himself for us. And so, God, we just praise you for that. We ask that you would lead us to a place not of, of guilt and shame looking down on ourselves, but that you would lead us to a place of, of high and holy reverence for you, knowing that you are the God who has healed us of it. God, we just recognize that those you've set free are free indeed. And so I just ask for, for many of us in here who have really struggled with this repeated cycle of of guilt and shame and feeling trapped in sin. God, would you remind us of what Jesus has done, that you have already done away with that. So Jesus, we just turn to you in praise. It's in your holy name that I pray. Amen. So I just want to invite you as we begin in this next song. Maybe there's something that has come up in your heart. Maybe there's a way that you've been living that God has been calling you to turn from. Maybe there is just a sin that you feel like you've been trapped by. And repentance, in essence, is making sure there's, there's nothing in your hands that would get between you and serving the Lord. And so would you just take some time, uh, maybe during this song, to just bring that before the Lord. Just say, Lord, I repent of these things. Commit to following you. I'll invite you to stand as we worship him. Yeah, yeah. 
church the lyrics that we sung are true that by his blood have been welcomed in that for those of you who believe in jesus have repented of your sins those sins are no more and would you receive these words from first peter chapter 2 as a benediction that he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness It is by his wounds you have been healed. For you were like sheep going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and the overseer of your souls. May that truth go with you as you leave this place. So grace and peace, Common Ground Church. Thank you for being here. Have a wonderful week. Victory forever.